Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Surely there was a time in your life when the world seemed full of wonder and you were always curious about how things worked and you wanted to understand the world better. What if you could still feel that way today? What if there were things that you could do in your life so that you could rekindle that curiosity and live with a sense of wonder? Our guest today recommends that that is possible. And like I said on Friday's episode, what we're going to talk about today really goes well with Tom Rath's idea of understanding how you can contribute to the world. He is the author of StrengthsFinder 2.0 and has developed a new index that can help you understand how you can best contribute to the world. But if you don't first have this sense of curiosity and the desire not only to understand yourself, but also to understand others, then you will never really get to that point where you're prepared to contribute to the world. So today's episode is a great addition to what we just talked about at the end of last week. Now, our guest today is the author of a book called Super Mindful, How to Tap into Your Creativity, and she's also the founder of a business that shares the same name as her book, and her work is all about promoting the cultivation of curiosity for more resilience, better collaborations, and more creativity. She's worked with leaders in neuroscience, business, and wellness to learn from the practices that actors use in their craft, and her goal is to use these findings so that anyone can become more present, authentic, flexible, and empathetic in their own life. Here is Eliza Leigh Ryan. Eliza, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions to help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Yes. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Well, in college, I wrote a play that I was supposed to direct, but I wasn't able to direct it because I needed to act in another show. So I was just intermittently involved. But there were 18 other people in the cast, plus the director and the designers, and their interpretation of the script, their creation of the show was beyond anything that I had imagined. It was just took it to this other level of depth and creativity. And it really taught me the power of collaboration, that if we each do our piece and fully trust and celebrate the creative intelligence and capacity of other people, the whole can be even better than any one of us could have imagined or created alone. So to me, a large part of leadership is creating an environment where other people's greatness can emerge. Another thing I wanted to mention was uh, curiosity, which is really central to my work, and especially in moments of conflict. In moments of conflict, we're often looking at another person and just uh, experiencing them as what they're doing to us, as opposed to wondering where they're coming from, 
Why is this happening this way? What are they wanting? And just taking that moment of pausing and saying, okay, this is how I'm experiencing it. How might they be experiencing it? I think is really powerful. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... Open, supportive, and visioning. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think a great question to ask is, what is needed? In this moment, with these people, for this project, what is needed? As opposed to living in our expectations of other people, what's what's actually needed by them to do well right now? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? I would recommend Daring Greatly because I think that it brings us into our vulnerable humanity as people. And from there, we can lead more effectively. And who is the author of that book? Brene Brown. That's what I was thinking. She's one of the authors that people will talk about fairly frequently on this podcast, but I've never actually read a book by Brene Brown. Yeah, she. I, I thought everybody, I always think everyone knows Brene Brown, but actually they don't. So I like to lift her up as much as possible. <laughs> If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I think just ask why. Why is the person in front of me doing what they're doing? Why are they wanting what they're wanting? Why are they saying what they're saying? Um, In that way, we can open up our collaborative possibilities. We see people as humans with needs rather than objects doing or not doing what we want them to do. And with that answer, you may have given away your answer for question (laughs) six. We'll have to see. But this is our arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think I did give it away. Um, Why is what I'm always drawn to because, but for a different reason than the previous answer. I'm always drawn to why because it places us in beginner's mind. When we're asking why, we're in a place of I don't know. And when we're in a place of I don't know, then new things can emerge more generally. So when I was speaking before, it was really about our relationships. But this is just about ideas in general. How should this project go? I don't know. How should this company go? I don't know. Let's see. Why is, why is it this way? Why, why does this company do it this way? Why does that company do it that way? It, it put, puts us in a place of, the, of uncertainty, which usually we're uncomfortable with. But when we can be in that place of uncertainty, then truly new things can emerge. Now, Eliza, we are here today to talk about your new book, Super Mindful, How to Tap into Your Creativity. And I would love to hear you describe what you mean by that word, super mindful. Sure. So super mindful is really just mindfulness plus imagination. And it comes from my background in theater. My background is teaching actors and non-actors and acting and choreographing. And um, as I was teaching actors and non-actors, they would come to me and they would say, wow, the things we're learning here in this class are helping me be more present to myself and also more open to other perspectives, able to empathize more and engage with ideas that otherwise would seem frightening or distasteful to me, but now I can actually go into them instead of retreat from them. And I thought, oh, this would probably be helpful for anyone to engage with. Why don't I look at it more deeply? And so then what I noticed was that in the mindfulness space, there was a correlative to these two components of actor training being 
present and having more possibilities, being mindful and being imaginative. And those correlatives were in the work of John Kabat-Zinn and Ellen Langer. So John Kabat-Zinn's work in the psychology space and psychological research was drawing on Eastern traditions of mindfulness, being with the moment as it is, as we are, non-judgmentally with curiosity. And Ellen Langer's work, which she also calls mindfulness, is drawing novel distinctions. So looking at the moment in new ways, trying to look at any moment that you're in from a variety of perspectives. And so then I thought, oh, that's so interesting. So in the acting space, it exists as a mindfulness and imagination. In the, in the psychology space, it exists as uh, mindfulness and mindfulness, <laughs> two different kinds of mindfulness. And then in the business space, it actually exists in the lineage of Tim Hall, as self-awareness and adaptability. How can we hold both of these things? How can we be present to ourselves and our own experience so we can draw on our own wisdom and knowledge? And how can we be adaptable and flexible and hold both of those? So super mindful really is a marriage of these two things, rooting down into our own perspective, rooting down into our own experience, being with life as it is, and also expanding out to include more perspectives, to be flexible, to see things in new ways. Now, this is your first book, and I'd love to hear just about your experience writing it, maybe even how some of the ideas began to develop and change. Was that something that, through writing the book, helped some of your own thinking on the topic expand and grow? Or is this something that you've sat with for a long time and just needed to go ahead and share it with the world? Oh, yes. I wrote this book to understand this <laughs> because um, I think I do everything to try to understand something more deeply. I think it's just a really fun way of living. Um, but the book came because inside of the creative process, actors and non-actors who are engaged in this work were just infinitely able to perspective take. They could take on any perspective, no problem with no barrier. And obviously that doesn't happen very easily in life. And it, so there was a little bit of bleed over, or quite a lot actually, you know, the students would say, oh, I, I'm able to perspective take much more in life and I'm able to be more present, but it wasn't all the time. You know, there was still kind of barrier to entry. Um, and I noticed in my own life, I was like, okay, so in this one context, I'm infinitely flexible and infinitely present. But in my own life, I have, a lot of lack of that. And so I wrote the book to try to understand. So how can we how can we harness what's happening in this creative setting and draw it out so it can be more infused in life? And so in writing it, I just discovered so many things that have been so helpful. Like, for example, one thing is um, inside of the mindfulness context, we, we tend to think of mindfulness as an end result, like, now I will float on a cloud of Zen joy for the rest of my life. Like, that's the goal <laughs> of mindfulness. But really, what mindfulness is, is just being with life as it is. And sometimes that means it's not comfortable. But the more we are just with our discomfort, the more we look at our discomfort and hold our discomfort as well as our comfort, the more we inquire into it, the less frightening it becomes and the stronger we feel because we keep showing up for ourselves. And the more we show up for ourselves, the more we realize we can show up for ourselves. And the more we can show up for ourselves, we can more we can show up for other people. So that's something that I really got from researching this book, the importance of that process of just continuing to show up and holding our own experience with curiosity, because that's what we're doing 
in this other setting, in the creative setting, we're just in a, in a space of curiosity and play and holding our experience with wonder. And so it's bringing that, it's bringing that curiosity, that play, that wonder, that holding of our experience lightly and with an openness that I learned through the research is so important and so helpful and so easy and so pleasant, actually. You mentioned this idea of a creative setting a couple different times. How do we begin to view our experiences and wherever we are as a creative setting? And as we do that, how does that shape how we act? Well, I think this verb of to wonder is really helpful. If in any moment we ask, am I willing to wonder? Am I able to wonder? Am I able to wonder about my own experience? Am I able to wonder about someone else's experience? For example, listening to the radio, maybe we'll hear a, here in America sometimes, a political view that we don't agree with. Having our feeling about it and then just wondering, why? Why are they thinking that way? Why are they feeling that way? And in that moment, kind of the, the, the binds on our minds just kind of loosen and we enter into a different space where we have greater access to that unknown, that creativity. One of the things you've talked about here is being rooted in your own perspective. And then the second thing is exploring other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations on how to be rooted in your own perspective in the first place? Because I think for a lot of people, that alone can be a difficult thing. Yeah, I think that um, there are a lot of ways, and actually in, in the recordings on the website, there are there are two sections. There's a section about cultivating presence, and there's a section about cultivating possibilities. And there are a lot of recordings that are between two and four minutes that just give you the experience of those two things, exercising your presence and exercising your flexibility, because it's very experiential. But I think just right now, something as simple as feeling your feet on the ground where you are and feeling the top of your head, and then feeling your whole self in between, and then becoming aware of the room around you, and then feeling your breath, and then here you are. And it's just a moment. It's just like, here I am. This is where I am, my whole self. Just something as simple as that. And you check in with that as many times as you remember to, and you'll notice that every time something else is going on, you're having a different feeling, you're having a different thought, you're having a different need. And so in that way, also, we start to see how variable life is, how different things are always flowing through us. Because one reason people are afraid of being present is because sometimes when we become present, we feel, we don't feel good. And then we think, oh, I'm always going to feel like this. You know, I always feel like this. Mm. And the more we just kind of touch base with ourselves, the more we realize we have lots of feelings, we have lots of thoughts, we have lots of different states of being. And so we are less afraid that we're going to get stuck. Now, one of the benefits of understanding our own perspective is that, like you were saying, we can actually have that sensation of feeling ourselves. When it comes to other people, we are not able to do that. So what are some beneficial ways to begin thinking about exploring other people's perspectives? Well, one practice that is really easy and really fun is to 
um, use other people's physicality as a way to understand them better. So just as an introduction to this, right now, if you furrow your eyebrows and try to think life is good, you'll notice that you can't really, like the furrowed eyebrows and life is good kind of can, has, has a conflict there. Hmm. So our thoughts affect our body, but our body also affects our thoughts and feelings. So we have these three these three aspects of ourselves that we can play around with imaginatively, our physical self, our mental self, and our emotional self. And these are our our spheres of imagination. So we can use other people's physical selves to spark our own imagination. So for example, if you're walking down the street, you can just choose somebody and they won't even know that you're doing this. It's very, very subtle. You just notice how is their head positioned? How are their shoulders positioned? How are their arms swinging? How are their legs swinging? And you just slightly internally model how they're walking. And you just notice that you're going to feel differently when you do that. Any way you change your body, you change your thoughts and your feelings. And so we can use other people as a creative catalyst that way. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your website. You've talked about it a little bit already, but you are providing videos as a way to help people in this process. Could you talk a little bit more about what people can expect when they go to your website, maybe direct them how to get there and then give them an idea of how your videos can help people if this is something that is is, uh, interesting to them or is connecting with them? Sure. Yeah, they're they're actually audio recordings because I wanted them. I wanted people to be able to do them as they walk through the world, just unencumbered, not looking down at their phones, so they could stay engaged. And so it's a bank of recordings. It's it's, it's a subscription based um, bank of recordings. It's only two ninety nine a month uh, because I really want as many people as possible to be able to use these practices because I think that the more people who use these practices, the more connected and collaborative and creative we can all be together. And so if you go into and if you start your free trial, you'll see that there are many recordings that allow you to shift perspective imaginatively. So there will be perspective shifting practices in those three spheres, the physicality, your affect or your disposition and your thoughts. So for example, in the thought category, when you're shifting perspective in terms of your thoughts, you might choose to have the thought, I'm awesome. And you just feel that like right now, you can just think, what does it feel like to know I'm awesome? And then by practicing around shifting with into that perspective, you notice any resistance that comes up against I'm awesome. And then you become present to that. So the, the presence practices and the possibilities practices operate in dialogue with each other. Um, and then in the present sphere, there are a lot of practices like the ones that I grounded you in your physicality just a few moments ago, but that also have to do with the breath, that also have to do with other people, that also have to do with the environment that you're in. And then I have another area that is a kind of support for the presence practices. So as you said, it can be difficult to be present sometimes. And so these practices just give you some extra ways to support yourself when you're being present. Now, I know you also like to work with businesses and you've kind of talked about how there are a number of different ways that different industries, whether it's related to the theater or psychology, and I guess it's more of a study than an industry or business, how they talk about a lot of similar things, but in a little bit different ways. When you're working with businesses, what are you able to do to help businesses and teams and individuals operate more effectively? Well, really, this work brings it down to the level of the individual. So how is each individual being with themselves and how each individual is being with each other? Um, And so what we do is we play around with these practices. We just 
infuse these practices into the daily working lives of the people. And so the more that we're all practicing just many times a day, just becoming present as I'm writing an email, here are my feet, how am I feeling? How did I receive that email? Do I wanna pause before I respond to that email? Where is that person coming from? Just making this orientation of curiosity a working part of the mind hmm. through these experiential practices because our default mode is judgment. Our default mode is judgment and defensiveness. That's how we keep ourselves safe. So these practices are just designed to shift our default mode from judgment and defensiveness to curiosity and collaboration. You've mentioned play earlier in this interview. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how we can incorporate these types of ideas that we've talked about into our lives and how play plays a role in that. Yes, play is so important. And again, I, I think I want to bring it back to the, the verb to wonder. When you when you employ that verb, you just are automatically placed in a place of more playfulness. Um, and play is what allows us to um, to be in that space of not knowing without feeling afraid, and also to notice how strivy we are. We we tend to be like, all right, I'm not going to do anything until unless I get this from it. But oftentimes, mm -hmm. we don't even know what we're supposed to get from the thing that we're engaged in. You know, um, so for example you might go for a run and you think, okay, I'm going to go for a run because I'm going to get strong. But actually what you get when you go for the run is an endorphin release and a great new idea, you know? So being in a place of play, just by asking, am I willing to wonder or what is there to wonder about right now, allows you to be in that space where you can hold all of the benefits of any experience that you're engaged with. It makes it experiential when you when you're in that place of wondering on purpose. A lot of people are busy, stressed. They're maybe not even as busy as they like to think, but right. the way they think is busy. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's their mindset and their default. Do you have any recommendations on how to work to set aside some of those thoughts so that they can get to that place of wonder? Is it going back to some of the things that you said earlier about rooting yourself in your own perspective and, and being aware of who and where you are? Is there something else that people can think about in order to help them get to that place of wonder? Yeah, well, I think that something important is that the the practices in the book and the practices on the website are designed, they're between two and four and a half minutes. So they're designed to be done inside of the flow of life. That's something that people often have as a barrier of entry to mindfulness is I don't have five, 10 minutes to sit and close my eyes. I just don't have that, mm -hmm. you know? So I think just, I think incorporating presence as much as possible, incorporating curiosity as much as possible, which, as I say, becomes just a working part of the mind once you practice it in these in this infused way, you know, where you're not taking time out, but you're, you're present and participating, you're playful and participating. So it's not this other thing you do, like, I'm going to go over there and like, remind myself, I need to not be busy. It's like, in my life, if I'm present to this moment, I actually have a gap between what's happening and my reaction to it. So what's happening, mindful presence, gap, choice, and then choice can emerge. So I think it's really about folding, just touching base with our reality, folding that in to our lives through practice. I mean, it's just it just takes a little bit of practice, but it's it's not something you have to take time out of your day to practice. You can just do it anytime. Well, Eliza, thank you so much for sharing about your book and your work, Super Mindful. 
Is there anything that you would like to reiterate from our interview today, or maybe even just bring something up that we didn't have a chance to talk about yet that would be helpful to the listeners? I think it's helpful to think about neuroplasticity um, <laughs> on another topic. Whole another topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is all about neuroplasticity. This is all about allowing our brains to expand into new realms. And so the way neuroplasticity works is that we build new neural connections. And the way we w- build new neural connections is through experience, through feeling. And so these practices and what I'm talking about is really a reincorporation of our whole selves. We tend to be very mental in our culture, and that's really helpful and important. And one reason why I have so much science in the book, because we want to understand. But the more we can incorporate our whole selves, the more we can actually build new patterns of habit, of whole self habit. So um, one uh, psychologist in the book that I draw on talks about how um, neural habits are like a well-worn riverbed. And so you're just coursing along, coursing along, coursing along. And if you try to stop the riverbed, if you're just like, I'm not going to do this anymore, you know, I'm not going to be hasty, you know, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to be hasty. You, the, the riverbed basically comes up against a dam and eventually just bursts open the dam and actually deepens the bed. So we can't stop doing behaviors. We have to start doing a different behavior. Mm. And a different behavior is a whole self-activity. And one of the best ways to do these different behaviors, to incorporate and practice these different behaviors is through the imagination. So when we're talking about imagination, this is not something kind of peripheral or fluffy or extraneous. It's actually this whole aspect of ourselves that we are underutilizing to allow us to be more of ourselves. It's this aspect of ourselves that allows us to build these new neural networks, allows us to build these new neural pathways so we can be the person that we intend to be rather than just the person that we're habituated to be. And that's a very powerful and exciting thing, I think. Well, I love that. That gives people something to think about. It's good to start doing it instead of trying to stop doing what you're already doing. Eliza, where can people go to learn more about you and the work that you do? They can go to supermindful.co. Eliza, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh. The first of today's three key takeaways is this. Super mindfulness is a marriage between rooting down into your own perspectives and then the threefold practice of expanding to others' perspectives, being flexible, and seeing things in new ways. The second key takeaway is just the idea of this act of play, which allows you to be in a space where you can hold all the benefits of any experience that you're engaged with. And the idea of play can be a little abstract, but the way that Eliza described it is living in a posture of wonder, which can also mean not being afraid when you don't know something and not limiting your expectations, especially to maybe your preconceived notions. And the final key takeaway is being present in a moment means you have a gap between what's happening and your reaction to it. And this might be one of the best key takeaways for leaders from today's episode. Think about when you're making decisions and when you're responding to things. Do you have a gap between what's happening and your reaction to it? Now, our second episode this week is going to be a really good one. We actually have the former CEO of Campbell Soup. He's coming out with a new book this week, and we're gonna be discussing that book and his leadership 
this Friday. I hope you'll join us then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.